So the podcast has been mentioned uh, by a few people, um, and it's Miroslav Wolf, who's a, a professor and has a regular podcast, uh, happened to have an old student who is a pastor in the Ukraine, in <laughs> Kiev. His name is Fyodor Reichenetz. And Fyodor um, has children. Um, he had friends in America and Canada, has been said, and had opportunities to get out. But he chose to stay, to stay and to give bread and water to people stuck in basements, um, to soldiers digging in um, fortifications around their home city. And he stayed to serve them and be with them. And when he was asked about you know, his heart and what's going on and how he feels and how he responds as a man of God in this situation, he said this. And there was this talk about the, you know, the first wave, the first attack that comes is the physical attack. This attack of bombs, this destruction, this havoc that has wreaked on you. But the second attack is, I guess, the spiritual or emotional one. What it does to you as a person, to your heart, to your soul. And he said this. It's so crucial in the midst of hell. He, he feels like he's in hell in his home city, yet he's in hell. So crucial in the midst of hell, not to lose our humanity, but to preserve it and to show it and to demonstrate it. And that's what he takes as his call at this time. How can you be, be a Christian? be a pastor in the midst of all that is going on and not lose your faith when bad things are happening all around you or to not lose your humanity that your own character changes and you, you take on the hate that has been thrown at you and you become bitter in your own heart and soul so that's the question I want us to come with this morning as we come to this psalm in particular and also to Isaiah is how do we not lose our humanity? This psalm, um, it's not one that I've really spent time in but as I was reading it this week it just felt like so right for the moment that we're in and I say that thousands of miles away from where things are actually happening but I feel that it's so much Maybe even for just for difficult times in your own life. There is so much here. Just this sense of chaos. The image that is here is, is one of the sea, of waters, of river, of floodwaters, of the depths. All these images of chaos, of darkness, and indeed of death in the Old Testament and in the surrounding cultures. These are negative pictures and emotions, and that's what they're dealing with. And the sense is that it's just overwhelming. I, mean, I, I, I find that thousands of miles away. I'm doing the, the half 11 midnight feed for the last six weeks since AJ's arrived. And for the first two weeks of feeding the mirror, you know, I'm putting on the TV and I was watching Sky News. And I lasted about, I don't know, it lasted at least a week of Sky News on the Ukraine. And then I'm just, I, I couldn't anymore. It was too much. I can't imagine actually living there. It is too much. And the overwhelming nature is what this psalmist feels at this time. This is what he says in, in verse 15. This is his heart. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Three different images, but all of them have the same thing, this overwhelming nature, that the floodwaters will engulf, that, that, that his head will, will finally be covered over and he won't be able to breathe anymore or be fully swallowed into the depths so that there's no return. 
or the same with the pit. This fear that you can't keep your head above water anymore is where the psalmist feels. If you've ever been through that difficult stage in life, that, that dark stage, it's that overwhelming, unrelenting nature of the pressure, of the opposition, is what this poet and author feels. And for him, it's all based on the absurdity of the oppression that he feels. And we look at the absurdity of war. Verse 4 talks of those who hate me without reason. Many are my enemies without cause. Those words echo for me at this time because it just feels senseless. All that is going on. The irrationality of trying to destroy a city so you can then own it, whatever may be left. Hatred without reason. So this is what's going on. This is what is being felt by this person, by David, but left in the scriptures for other people at other times and other situations to sing and pray and speak out to God when they too are overwhelmed. And the burden, physical, mental, spiritual, just builds and builds. So how do you not lose your faith? How do you preserve your humanity and indeed demonstrate it in dark days like this? And the theme of this psalm is judgment, calling for God's wrath. Now, I, I don't know how you feel about psalms like this or passages like this in the scriptures, but at times you can be embarrassed about them. They don't really go down very well in today's world. What do I do with that? And think, well, that's just in the Old Testament, as if then we can leave it in some way. But it's for days like this that we have these psalms kept for us in the prayer book of the Bible, that we too can say them. And it's talked of and called for here with no sense of embarrassment. There's no apology from the psalmist. There's no attempt to censor anything. It's just a straight-up call for God's wrath to come. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. No embarrassment at all. This is what I want. This is what I'm praying for. And, 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 the, and the specifics given of what this prayer is. Praying that those who oppress them will become blind. Praying that they will carry constant burdens on their back. That their backs be bent forever. Praying that their family line, that their descendants will be decimated. No one to dwell in their tents. I mean, this is not the stuff we talk about in Sunday school. I certainly must have missed that Sunday when I was a kid. But there's no apology here. And so we're left with this prayer in our Holy Scriptures. And, and, and it raises the question for us, can this be good? Can vengeance be good? Can judgment and wrath, what are seen as negative words, can they be good? And I think if ever there's a day to read things like this, it is this day. And we can see, hopefully, the need for that. Let me just offer one or two thoughts on what I think this does and why this prayer can still be a prayer for us. You see, to pray a prayer like this actually frees us from bitterness. 
It's actually there to preserve our humanity. It helps us in preserving our humanity. Because if we, if we just pause and look at what the, what's happening here, it sounds like a basic point, but it's really important. This is a prayer. This is a prayer. And so it takes all these emotions, all this pent-up anger and desire for revenge, and it doesn't put it into action. It puts it into prayer. There's nothing here that goes beyond speech. It's a prayer. But more than that, it's a prayer to God. And so what this does is it takes the, the, the desire for vengeance that's within our own heart, that, that builds up, obviously, in certain dark times, and it takes it from the psalmist, takes it from us, and it puts it into the heart of God. Because it's asking God to do this and not us. And, and God can carry desires like this because God is a good God and a just God. If this sits in my heart, I will twist it. And it will come out in all sorts of shapes and forms that are not good and that are not just. But in terms of a God who we can trust, who we know is good and just, he can carry such desires and they will come out in a way that is good and just. You see, vengeance is God's business, not ours. And that's why at times we need to pray prayers like this. So it frees us from bitterness. And I just want to say, this is left in the scriptures for us. In the Psalms, sometimes quite interesting, there's little titles underneath the Psalms. And there's a title here in this one. Little sort of notes, uh, just before verse 1. And this one, uh, gives us a little bit of information, so it tells us it's a song of David. Tells us that it's for the director of music. I mean, they, they, they put this prayer for judgment to music. I mean, it's celebratory. But you can only feel that if you're surely on the front line. But there is no sense of the context or the situation. We don't know when in David's life he was praying this. And often that is done to generalize it. So it's not just specific to the situation. So that other people at other times in other places can use this same prayer for their own time. So, so this is left for us to be a prayer for us. And one thing it does is it frees us from bitterness. Now we know post-Jesus that God's heart is forgiveness. And so we hold that. And we hold these things in tension. But we have to keep the tension because... God's forgiveness does not come and never has come at the expense of justice. That is the picture of the cross. So this is for us. It frees us from bitterness. The second thing it does is it frees us from despair. It frees us from despair. These songs, the director of music, let's put it to, to, to music. This song so often the Psalms have praise and words of praise. Praise only starts in this Psalm in verse 29 out of 36 verses. That's where it starts. And it comes right after the prayer and the words for vengeance and judgment. And it's as if something changes and something happens at that moment in the Psalmist's heart as he's writing out the words, as he's saying them to God, that something of actually praying a prayer for God's justice moves him to praise. It changes something. It does something. 
And it seems that vengeance is necessary for salvation in this situation. Verse 29, but as for me, this is where the praise turns, the psalm turns and praise comes in. But as for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song. And he goes on to praise. May your salvation protect me. There's something about salvation that is protective. Because God's salvation in the midst of oppression involves dealing with the oppressor. Seems that salvation and vengeance are two sides of a coin in this situation. And so it moves, the psalm moves to praise and indeed to hope. Because in that prayer, in praying that prayer, those thoughts that my God will act one day, justice will come one day, things will not be forgotten and swept under the carpet for an uneasy truth one day. We can apply this to the country of Ukraine or to other dark issues and periods in our own lives and communities. Uh, There's a a Christian activist in America um, who's very inspiring because he just takes what Jesus says is true and he lives it out, Uh, Shane Claiborne. And himself with some others have started a company called Raw Tools. And what they do, he lives in the inner city. I think it's Philadelphia. But he lives in inner city serving in, in rough places. And has seen the scourge of gun violence in the city. And so his business takes guns and gets saws and other tools and turns guns into garden tools. They do it as a symbol and do it to actually be, that they actually would be used. It's a prophetic symbol. A prophetic symbol that one day there will not be need for weapons of war anymore. And these is all based on the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2. So this psalm turns to hope. But Isaiah gives one of the clearest pictures in the scriptures of what hope looks like when it comes to war and to peace. That one day they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Because peace in the land will be so assured and so, fi- and so final that there will be no need to store up weapons anymore to hold them. To even have them in the shed in case something does happen. It is final and assured peace. And guns and weapons and spears and swords can be done away with. Because when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness, his peace is assured. Nation will not take up sword against nation. Nor will they train for war anymore. There will be no offensive moves and no need for defensive training either. Because war is purely part of history. But for us to reach that stage, we need a moment when God comes and returns to this world in full justice and judgment and salvation. Two sides of the same coin. Because only that will bring full peace. He will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many peoples. 
I don't know when we've ever reached that in world history. When we've ever had proper justice. We had Nuremberg after World War II. I watched a nice Netflix documentary on something equivalent in Japan. But we never really get to full justice, do we? What I've been reading in the papers about Ukraine and the talks there, a 15-point plan, it, it looks like an uneasy truce. It looks like bargaining for something practical and realistic that will put an end to war for the moment, but yet live in fear. Necessary in a fallen world, but not full justice or judgment. But that will come. That will come one day. And we need to have that picture clear and front and center in our minds and our thoughts and our lives. Let me read those words of Isaiah again as we close. You might want to close your eyes or something just to reflect on these words. These words which are a picture of where our world is heading. One we long to see at this moment in time. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And so that is our future. We're going to come to the table of Jesus together this morning uh, with bread and juice. I want to read some words from Jesus at the Last Supper. That model for how we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And he says this, as he's eating and drinking with his close followers, and they break bread and they drink wine together, he says this, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so when we come now in a few moments and we will drink uh, non-alcoholic wine or juice together, we will eat bread together. This is a picture of hope. This is a meal that we take. This, Jesus is present here in a special way this morning as as a community we come and we gather around his table. And having a meal and fellowship with Jesus in this way reminds us that this is our end. That with a physical Jesus one day, we will drink wine with him. This is a meal of hope. It reminds us of hope and the future in the kingdom our final hope.
and its bread and wine to remember and to mark the body and the blood of Jesus. Because this victory and our future was won at the cross. On his journey to Jerusalem, after he got there and he was spending time with the disciples in his last days, Jesus takes on the words of that psalm of Psalm 69 himself in John 15. And he says, they hated me without reason. God himself entered into this world, took on the hate and the absurdity of man's hatred and man's violence. Took it upon himself. Was beaten, crucified and buried. But yet beat it and rose again. And now there's hope. And we remember and celebrate that hope together. So let us pray.